Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. Hi, my name is Christine Abrigana, born in Germany and raised in Davao City, Philippines. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently the Mississaugas of the Credit River. I'm podcasting from the modern city of Athens in Greece. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Ishebeg people. Sigs! It is Crime and Punishment Month, and we start off the month of March with deconstructing with Christina Bergana, the Lagim podcast. But before we start, Sigs, why don't you introduce our guest in studio today? We are very pleased to welcome Christine to the Hollow Hollow podcast virtual studios. Mm-hmm. We connected with Christine when we did a taste test of the Lagim podcast on season four. And Christine filmed a reaction video to Jesse's taste test, and it was one of the best views I've seen. To see Christine, and she's smiling right now, listeners looking at me, to have such a genuine reaction to this episode. And after the episode aired, we connected with her, and mm. Jez and I got to do a little bit of cameo for her, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. And we said, hey, come on, season five. We'd love to do an episode just about you and deconstructing the podcast, just centered on that. And we want our listeners to hear more about your journey on the creation of this podcast, your travels and travails. I've been holding it in since we've been talking to to you since earlier this <laughs> afternoon so there's so much more but let's go right back as Jesse says let's center it back in as we've done in the past can you briefly remind us where you were born where you grew up and where you locate yourself today hi listeners of the Hala Hala podcast I was actually born in Bonn <laughs> Germany so that used to be the well I call it the emergency slash cold war capital of Germany when Berlin right. was oh. sort of you know part of yep. the Soviet bloc yes so I was born in that city famous for what are we famous for the Rhine River and Beethoven you and know Beethoven, I yes, call yes, him yes. grandpa Beethoven feeling close <laughs> <laughs> So I stayed in Germany, I think, until I was six years old. Then my parents separated and then eventually divorced. And mom took me back to the Philippines, specifically to Davao City. Now, mom is not from Davao City, but that's the next biggest city to sort of where she grew up, which is Digos, Davao del Sur, where my grandparents are from and where I still have lots of relatives and friends. So I then grew up in Davao City. I spent my formative years there, went to grade school, went to high school. Mm. And then at some point, mom said, well, wouldn't you want to go back to your father's land slash fatherland, Germany? I said, (laughs) oh my God, do I want to? Because I've always been someone, I don't know, maybe I was born with the travel bug. Mm-hmm. I've never really feared sort of getting out of my comfort zone and traveling and just seeing new things and learning new things. And so at the age of 15, almost 16, I said, okay, let me go back to Germany and sort of get reintroduced into this part of my heritage because mm. I have forgotten about the language as a kid. I've had a, an almost non-existent relationship with my dad. And so I went back and boy, I was culture shocked. I am, I've always been sort of Benoit through and through, even though I don't look like it. 
yeah, just seeing that part of my heritage was sort of like learning about a different culture altogether. So at 15, I was back in Germany and kind of stayed there until I finished what you guys would I think call senior high school, well, mm-hmm. 12th, 13th grade in Germany. Yeah, right. And after that, I'm just like, oh, okay, so I need to travel now because I was told, as I said, sort of in a conversation before we started recording, you can reach different places in Europe through train within a couple of hours. So that's when I started living in different places. And right now I'm in Athens, I'm in Greece in Southern Europe. Oh my gosh. So, so many questions to ask, right? Go for it, Julie. So it's kind of like, how did your parents meet in Germany? Is that where they met? No, 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 no. So back in the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in- because I just have to say, Christine, that our immigration story doesn't start the minute we're born. Like mm-hmm. it sometimes is generations <laughs> even before us. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, how does someone with your cultural background come about? Mm-hmm. Can, how do our parents meet? So Sigs and my parents very traditional, <laughs> local region, somewhere in the Philippines, meet and then decide to emigrate. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm just curious now. So tell us more about your mom's immigration story, I guess, in some ways. So mom really never wanted that provincial life, that farmer's yes. life yes. that she had grown up with. There were so many of them in the family. She is the sixth of like 13 13 yeah. children. Yeah. So she's like, I'm <laughs> not about that life. Right. I'm not about the farmer's life, not about yes. the agricultural stuff. Let me go to the city. So she she's goes no to Bell, right? Or she no. wants to be like Bell, maybe. Yeah. Right? She wants to be a city girl and she yes. goes like, okay, what can I do so I can get that get into that city life? She becomes a midwife, hated it. And mm-hmm. then she proceeds to work for a publisher. And I think through this kind of work, she became aware of like, pen paling right and so she started having pen pals from like all over the place mm-hmm. my mom likes the white boys so. <laughs> <laughs> oh mom <laughs> so she goes she tells you the story and she's like yes anak i had like a pen pal from australia pen pal from canada pen pal from germany <laughs> And apparently they were all crazy about her because my oh mom my. was, you know, beautiful, you know, voluptuous. Five but, but pero, mom, back in Germany at Australia, right? This so, is the thing. This is the thing. All these men sent her Polaroid pictures, right? Right, right. And yeah. she even kept one of the Australian guys' pictures. And I'm just like, mom, like, as a kid, I genuinely said this, mom, like, why did you pick that dad? He didn't have any hair when you met. Uh- and this guy's like... Full of hair, like he's got a mustache, a beard, like long hair. Like oh I could God. be Australian. <laughs> Can I meet your mom? Like your <laughs> accent would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, but you know. It. Both of my parents have passed, so I'm like, you know, I can, like, this is just like like me retelling their story. But I think what my mom liked about my dad was that my dad was very consistent and Mm. he was the one who Mm -hmm. stuck to the pen paling. And eventually, eventually, I think he came to visit at some point and met her. And there was a huge age discrepancy. But my mom was like, no, like, I, this is my ticket out of the Philippines. And right, he seems right. like a nice guy. And I don't think there was like, that was not like her great love. But for her, it was like, it was a martial law era. 
Yeah. Right. Times were tough. She didn't like to be a midwife. The publisher job, I think it was not really that stable. It was sort of temporary. Mm-hmm. And being a woman anyway in the Philippines, it was hard, mm-hmm. Matt. So, you know, and she right. said, if this white boy, white man, is my ticket out of all of this, then let me take a chance, you know? And my mom was sort of very level-headed about that kind of stuff. But eventually she did fall in love. It's not a traditional love story and by that time she was in germany and they got married and then a couple years later there i was that's me <laughs> there you are. I arrived yeah well and i just have to also kind of put in that context of escaping martial law and if mm. your mom was in publishing at the time mm. someone in her position could be in jeopardy simply because of the written word or the expression of it right she never really talked about that part of her life that much. Like she just said she was in publishing and she never yeah. really specified. I don't know. She may have had her reasons for that, but that was possible. You know, yeah. there were publishing houses back in the day where they would just do, I don't know, they just published children's books or the school books, the textbooks that they would mm-hmm. use. So that those are the safe types of right. publishing businesses that you've had. But yeah, I can imagine if it had been any other type of publishing business, newspapers, something that is anti-government, yes, that would have been very dangerous. Right. And then fast forward to Davao City mm-hmm. and then growing up in Davao. Mm-hmm. And then as you had said, you don't have the typical Filipino mm-hmm. complexion. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Like having oh, a different complexion than everybody else? So I learned this very, very early on that I always had to prove my Filipino-ness. Yeah. And from a very early age, I realized, so this is how I learned it from the moment I I realized that I didn't look like everybody else. Like it didn't even Mm -hmm. click for me as a child because as a child, you don't really see that, you know, race, you get taught race and the concept of race or racialness. Right. So I didn't really click for me until I got to like first grade or kindergarten. It was kindergarten or first grade back in the Philippines. And they were like, oh my God, look at your blonde hair. I'm like, I'm not blonde. And like, look at your, you're so pute. I'm like, really, Mm. Emma? You know? (laughs) Right. And then I realized that I had to fight to be acknowledged as Filipino and the way that I was able to sometimes win that fight in the course of sort of my stay in the Philippines was to learn the language and be good at it. So I had to learn not only mm. English for, for school purposes, right. but I had to learn Bisaya to be able to communicate with my grandparents and most of my cousins mm. and mm-hmm. most of the people in Davao City anyway. Yeah. And then I had to learn Tagalog because of school as well and because of my eventually stepfather who was from Laguna. Right. And he uh-huh. was bad at Bisaya and he would eventually learn how to speak Bisaya fluently, but he was bad at Bisaya so that I couldn't communicate with him because he didn't speak English. So I had all these people I had to communicate with, and they were my practicing ground, so to speak, mm. to learn all of these languages and to tell people, you know, that was sort of my, look at this certificate, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm legit, you know, yeah. so that was me. And I was constantly sort of invalidated because of your hair. Your hair is not black. Your hair is not straight. You're not petite. You're too tall. You're too big. Your feet are too... Even my feet were, were criticized. My oh feet my are goodness. too big. Wow. Um, and you're too <laughs> wide. You get red. You know, you get sunburn when you 
the beach you're in the where sun. obviously yeah. You're, mm-hmm. yeah you're obviously you're not filipino and it was just a constant identity crisis like fight for recognition that i am <laughs> filipino and it became sort of part of my life and it, at some point it didn't bother me anymore and that was a scary bit that it wasn't bothering me anymore because it should bother me i should mm-hmm. be able to stand there and say i'm filipino and have nobody question that but i was getting used to it and yeah it was at some point I, i would feel very sad about it right but it became part of my life and in school i would get sometimes i don't know targeted not necessarily mm-hmm. like sure there were the usual bullies of course but i would get targeted because let's get Christine to do this because she's tall let's get Christine to do this because she looks like an americana yeah. <laughs> you know yeah yeah this is stupid guys and i remember one assembly our principal was like So I went to Ateneo, deeply Catholic, deeply Jesuit high school. <laughs> yes, yes. And one day, our principal, Sir Darang, God rest his soul, he goes, the ladies are not to wear colored bras anymore and you are not to dye your hair any other color. You should keep your your black hair color and all that. Right. And then he paused for like maybe two seconds. Of course, except for Christine, because she's already has blonde <laughs> hair. And, oh my gosh. And you can imagine, this is an assembly of like 5,000 high schoolers. Oh, Everybody's dear. like, just looked at me. I'm like, oh God, let me sink into the into the earth, yeah. you know, into the ground. Like, <laughs> Why can't like, an earthquake happen right now? Right now. Like, like tsunami, drown out something. Yeah. You know, like, can yeah. I just order a tsunami, you know? So yeah. that was me. Like, there were a lot of moments where... I never really wanted to stand out. Like I did everything to not stand out, but I would always stand out, you know, right. and that was sort of my life. Yeah. Up until I left the Philippines again. That was, you know, <laughs> was I think part, part of where we relate and intersect with you is that idea mm-hmm. of not wanting to stand out and then growing up us in the diaspora in some ways, we couldn't help but stand out. Right. It's exactly kind of similar ways of being excluded or highlighted unintentionally or intentionally so. Mm-hmm. You know, so much so that it, in our formative years, all we want to do is just kind of blend in and mm-hmm. not be picked on and have a different life, but not be noticed for our differences. And I think that this is where we have probably kinship with you and kinship with mm-hmm. lots of other Filipinos in the diaspora, or even like yourself, Filipinos that have been patriated back to the Philippines And then at the same time, made to feel really different. I'm just kind of curious then, like, what do you think of all of these kind of bicultural misuniverses out mm. there? And, like, there is a whole analysis on it. And I'm just kind of curious because presumably, correct my assumptions if I'm incorrect on all of this, mm-hmm. that had a similar trajectory. Of course, they've had different experiences altogether. I hear two sides of this discourse now, right? Which is, are they Filipino enough? Which is what you've described. Or this is how we modernize and this is how we become part of the, and get world acclaim or world notoriety or mm-hmm. being noticed in some ways. To me, at the end of the day, I think it's actually a false debate, but I'm curious to know what you think. Oh God, what a discussion. I've been, <laughs> oh, friends of mine have known to like, I just complain about this for for years now. Like I, right. as a kid I used to love the pageant. So do everything. I. So do yeah, I. You I know? mean, and I I totally love the pageants yeah. and there is always a day that I wanted to say that I represented the 7100 island of the Philippines, right? Exactly, But- you know, and have that sash and that crown and I remember being a kid in Davao and like I may have been like 11 or 12 and my mom like 
the Miss Universe pageant is on and, you know, would you like to like, you know, just not go to, I don't know, whatever extracurricular activity. I'm like, yes, of course, mom. And she would make me lunch. And I was able to eat lunch in front of the TV because, you know, Mm -hmm. she supported that passion. And then growing up and learning about racism, colorism, and noticing, for example, like my first aha moment when it comes to colorism or the preference for mestizas in in mm-hmm. such pageants it mm-hmm. it actually first became apparent to me that there is a problem uh, there is a colorism problem in the philippines i think i was i may have been in my freshman year i was in a dutch university and i i eventually dropped out from that university but i had this favorite actress and she was a dark-skinned Filipina, and I was like, "Where? Whatever happened to her?" You know, and I would Google mm-hmm. her. Yeah, and I was like, "Whatever happened to her?" Like, I've never, I don't see her in movies anymore. And there was one movie that I really loved her in, and just like mm-hmm. that's the last movie I know of her. Where is she? And then there was conversation among the friends, and one person said, "Well, maybe she doesn't get cast anymore because she's so morena," you know. Mm-hmm. And that person didn't even use the morena word, but something derogatory. Right. And I said, "Well, that doesn't seem fair. If she's a good actress, then she's a good actress," you right, know. Exactly. Right. And then I kind of saw that happening, and then I kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like all these leading ladies, like Anne Curtis, Lisa Soberano, much later, by the way, all these are half Filipinas, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, "She's mestiza, and she's mestiza, and she's where are all the Morenas? Where are all the like, right. you know, I, I wouldn't say like full blooded Filipino, but I was like, because there are also mestizas out there who are also brown and dark-skinned or that's right morena but where are all the morenas i'm like oh my god and then sort of my awakening then then um transitioned into oh my god the lightning lotion industry yeah you know and then eventually it landed on the whole miss universe discussion and i'm just like Okay, this is difficult because I'm half Filipino, I'm Stisa, and I, once upon a time when I was about 6.5 years old, I may have had <laughs> dreams to represent my country <laughs> on the pageant stage. Yeah. But then I'm also like, this isn't what they're showing is not a true reflection of the diversity of, of the right. Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> so I can understand if in one year they have someone like Pia Wurzbach. <laughs> representing the philippines and i feel a kinship because she's also german filipino right 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 Um, but you right but then i'm also thinking okay if i watch between filipinas the the year after and i genuinely see someone who is morena not mestiza who does well in everything and she doesn't win just because she's morena we've seen that happen with one of the contestants ayn bernos i don't know if you remember her she was a contestant i don't know if she's ever made it to the Miss Universe pageant. I don't think so. She wasn't Binibini Filipina. She was shorter. Mm-hmm. She was more morena. And she was Pinoy through and through. And she got, oh my God, she got hated on so much online. Oh. And I just felt like this is wrong because Ayn Bernos is so intelligent, so eloquent. Mm-hmm. And she joined the Binibini Filipinas at a very late stage. And she still was able to shine and to right. make a name for herself. And obviously there was something magnetic about her. I find her super attractive. And I'm just like, okay, but she doesn't stand a chance just because she's Morena. She's slightly shorter than your normal 
half German, half Filipino, half Australian, half Filipino. Right. And that for me posed sort of a big question, like, where do you stand in this debate? And like you said, Jess, it's not really a debate per se. It's misleading in a way because... Sure, we talk about like merit, like if they really performed well in the local pageants and they're the best ones to represent the Philippines on the world stage, then so be it. But then the problem is already in the local pageant scene, there is already a problem because everybody's just pushing the mestizas to be their city's representatives. So already on this level, there's a problem. We're not pushing the morenas anymore. They're getting discouraged. They're getting hated on online. So it's a systematic problem already because the colorism is so deeply embedded in the conversation that those who may have potential to show the diversity of the Philippines and that we are not all mestizas, we're not all fair-skinned, and we're not all very, very tall, they don't even try it. They don't even attempt anything anymore. That is my worry. My worry is is that Mm -hmm. it skews and creates a new set point Mm -hmm. in terms of color diversity, if I can kind of Mm -hmm. call it that. And because of that, and this is the part that I find really problematic, and yet Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, it's what perpetuates the problem, which is, is, is that every time a mestiza miss. Philippines wins Miss Universe, it just Mm. reinforces it that much more. Mm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this odd positive reinforcement, but it's positively in reinforcing a more wider dynamic Mm. or a more wider expression of being Filipina. Mm -hmm. Kind of Mm -hmm. call it that. And that's what I find so worrying. If it was a diversity of Miss Philippines winning, then I think it would be a different story altogether. Mm-hmm. But because the last few Miss Universes that were that came from the Philippines were Mestiza, mm-hmm. it, it just has now created this really almost toxic discussion in a lot of ways. And it's just like, oh, how do we get yeah, out Yeah, and then you got the last one who didn't win, and she was completely... Oh my gosh. Ruined online and her Filipino-ness was questioned because if you're Mestiza and you want, you're Filipino, you're good enough, approved, you know? Right. But if you're Mestiza and you represent us and you lose, Filipino ka ba talaga? You know? It's a a a no-win. It's a no-win situation. You know, and it reminds me of... And this this conversation it reminds me so much of sort of the footballers or the what you call in North America the soccer players right. in Ger- in Germany for example. So we've yeah. got a lot of like Turkish Germans who are playing for a national team. If they don't score, they're not German enough. If right. they win, mm-hmm. yes, you're German and we accept you. And right. that's the same thing. Yeah, that, that's the same I- thing that's happening. You know, the subtitle of today's topic really should be the word enough. Like you're not <laughs> Filipino enough. German enough, Mm. Canadian enough, all of those things. And it's so Mm. interesting what you need to do to be enough. Mm -hmm. Like you not only needed to learn one Filipino language, you needed to learn two Filipino language. You know, (laughs) that just, if I had any more hair left, I would like literally pull my hair out (laughs) right around that, end up exhibiting signs of trichotillomania right at this point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The other is, is that like, I think about what you said around like, wow, these women now need to absolutely win the title of Miss Universe to be enough, to be then considered mm, it's crazy. Miss Universe for that mm-hmm. matter, right? And so mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, not everyone gets to be a Miss Universe, right? Like, no. that's, the, that's the thing. We cannot win it every year. Like, we'd like to, but we cannot. <laughs> we can't. I you mean, know? yes, we think we're the most beautiful people in the world. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> Oh yes, that's right. That's right. Well, I'm 
I'm so glad we went down this rabbit hole because I've been thinking about this too. I've been thinking about like, what do you need to do? To... Days. Well, oh we're going to have to well, come back. You're we're going to come back you again. On. We're going to talk about Miss Universe. We'll talk about like, colorism. Oh, gosh. <laughs> on a non like mystery and crime month or crime and punishment month in yeah. arts, right? But one last thing before we kind of get right into mm. our main episode <laughs> is so now like you have been nomadic throughout Europe is kind of mm-hmm. what you've been telling mm-hmm. us. When I came to know you, at least through your work on the podcast, you were in the UK, yes. is what I understood. And then now you're in Athens. So just tell us a little bit about what has happened and why you're at where you're at, I guess. So the UK has been my home for a long time because I qualified as a lawyer in the UK. So mm. once okay. upon a time, I was qualified to practice law in England and Wales. And that's why I also stayed there because it's just it's just easier, I guess, to find work right. <laughs> once you've qualified as a lawyer there. And at some point I said, well, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore because that was not my dream anyway. That was my Filipino mother's dream. So (laughs) let me pursue my happiness, so to speak. So I quit that job and I had to still pay my bills, of course, because just because you've had an epiphany about not being wanting to be a lawyer anymore doesn't mean you don't have to pay bills. So I took on the next best job. I worked for a university and that was still in the UK. And I think September last year, an old company from Germany who hired me after I did my master's in Germany said, well, you know, we lost so many people during the pandemic because we thought we were going to go bankrupt. So uh, a lot of people quit. By the way, you know the company, you know what the work is. Do you want to join us again and you can work 100% remotely? I'm like, oh my God, like, I think this is it. (laughs) I tried to manifest a year of travel like two, three years ago. Just as the pandemic hit uh, the UK and I said, how am I getting to this year of travel? I don't know where I'm going to get the funds. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do my work for this English university remotely. And then in comes this call from my former company. And I said, you know what? Yes. I mean, I quit the job in England Mm -hmm. and I was not supposed to go traveling for another eight months. But then my landlord in England said, oh, by the way, you either pay us, new landlord, you either pay us this much money. So he increased the rent, like, I don't know, like more than 50%. Oh my or gosh. you can move, oh. or you can move out. Uh, you've got eight weeks to move out. And I'm like, you know what? This is yet another sign. I need to go traveling right about now. Mm-hmm. So I packed up my whole life. I've given up my apartment. I gave almost all of my furniture. I put the rest of it in storage and I just went traveling. See you later. With the job. So I first had to, you know, say hi and bye to my friends down in London. I went to Spain for four weeks. I was stuck in this small barrio on Menorca. (laughs) And then I had to go to Dubai for work. And then I said, well, you know what? What would be exciting would be to finally go to Athens and see the Parthenon. So I said, let me go and just see what this Parthenon business is all about. So here I am. I'm going to be here for the next three to four weeks I think in Greece and then Mm -hmm. after this I'm off to Australia for work wow look at you jet setting have you been to Australia (laughs) not yet it will be my first time my god I'm dying to get there I haven't been to Australia either so you'll have to give us a report in terms of I will I'm gonna try to hit like Perth Melbourne Brisbane and Sydney just to look at the opera and say hey I've been there I've seen it so yeah 
Awesome. Wow. So you're going to do all this kind of jet setting, not only just for mm-hmm. yourself personally, but also for work, for work. which is fantastic, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you're going to be also producing your podcast as well. Is that On the road, yeah. On the road. How exciting is that? Now, before we kind of go right into that, tell us about your podcast a little bit. (laughs) So my podcast is Lagim, a Filipino true crime podcast. I started in November, December 2020. Mm -hmm. And I started producing episodes really just to explore how I can contribute to the true crime genre within the Philippines because what Mm -hmm. I have noticed so I've researched the whole genre of course Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. beforehand and there was not much to do during a lockdown so I had so much time to look into it (laughs) and what I've noticed (laughs) and what I've noticed is that they didn't have anybody who is first and foremost a woman secondly who (gasps) does sort of like purely sort of one person narration type of content Right. And also, I've noticed that a lot of the discussions don't really touch upon sort of deeper, maybe more controversial societal issues. And I wanted to be that person because I couldn't find that true crime content mm-hmm. within the Filipino true crime podcast community. I said, <laughs> let me, let me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how the game podcast got started. And I produced two episodes a month. At the moment, I'm lagging a bit because of my work in Dubai. It just took so much out of me. I was telling say. <laughs> It just took so much out of me, man. It was just one of those very tough events, very tough work projects that I said, I'm going to have to like disregard everything for now and just focus on this. But now I'm back on track. Uh, There are better projects heading my way work-wise. So I'm back on two episodes a month. And I usually do a really, as much as I can, a really good deep deep dive into the cases. So I don't limit Mm -hmm. myself to, I'm just going to do 20 minutes or 30 minutes. No, I'm everything that I can find about a case i'm going to share with the listeners and i'm but can i, I just add, say something about yeah, that of course you yeah. do more than just kind of like recount facts and stuff yes like that. now first of all <laughs> i just have to say like a your research is superb and oh, thank you. that you've told us now that you know you hold Law a lot of grief and yeah. are a legal thinker in a lot of ways. My sense of you is a legal thinker and so now sense. now when i think about your episodes it's like holy cannoli it's like (laughs) i'm hearing an oral brief that you've prepared on a crime and then have followed up on a legal analysis or some type of analysis of the crime Mm. you know in some ways and i'm just like oh that's the that's my personal appeal right and like (laughs) and my little little fandomship of the game podcast right because it's like she researches it she puts it out like a brief it the narrative is accessible like you know if you've ever i've read some legal briefs i know you've read legal briefs when you read them they're written in a very particular way they they have their own particular language and what the (laughs) listeners don't see is like christine and i rolling our eyes on how these legal briefs have to be written right (laughs) and so You frame it like a brief, but so accessible with an analysis at the end and then commentary. Like it's very, like I can, I feel the structure. I appreciate the structure. It probably feels organic for everyone else, but I have to tell you, I just love it. I just love it. And I, yeah, it's, it's tremendous in some ways. So please don't say that it's just like, oh, I know I gather facts (laughs) together. I know you do more than that. It's like, it takes skill to put out what you're putting out there. And like us here at the Holo Holo podcast, you know, we were like, we didn't see enough of ourselves on the landscape. So we thought, well, 
why don't we do this ourselves? And Six was like, do you think you can do this? And I'm like, I'm sure we can figure this out. We're both smart. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly the same thing. The figure it out, but I can totally, how that resonates so much because I'm like, I don't have a microphone. I'm like, how do I do this? What do I, okay, okay, let me use my phone. Let me use my phone. I had this old Samsung phone and I would just record. (laughs) I was like, I'm showing you on video, like this is how I Yeah, yeah. And then I would sort of edit already sort of on my phone, but then I'm just like, I don't know how to do the whole layering of music and I'm just like let me hire someone on Fiverr to maybe teach me or just edit mm, a couple of yeah. you know first few episodes and then this guy I don't know where he was from like okay this is how you do it and this is okay I got it I got it and then at some point I was like okay so I think I feel confident enough now to make longer episodes and have a microphone I'm like oh my god a microphone it feels so <laughs> proper now (laughs) like oh my god the sound quality what is happening oh yes Um, yeah so sound quality becomes important i can tell you that for the two of us that's all we obsessed about for the first two years was like what's the sound evolution yeah (laughs) yeah to listen to our first two seasons to where we are now certainly we sound that much more better and and it sounds like you just like us are very like we take pride in what we produce terms of what I we do. put out they're there. my babies they're all, all my episodes are my babies and i when people give me feedback about certain things i'm like i take that so seriously yeah yeah i you know when i get emails about oh you know i've heard that didn't even happen like where did you where were your sources and just like oh I, i'm gonna give you my sources that's those are that's itemized amazing. yeah i've seen like your stories and stuff where you're like oh you had a comment about this and it does make sense because i was about to say oh you do have a legal background and you're so thorough and your notes are accessible yeah. that's why i was like i know why jesse likes this podcast because <laughs> all the resources are there and you make it palatable not only totally. do you have that serious side you're just like do you have questions it's here like this yeah. isn't making up this isn't just conjecture this yeah. object this is what i have and i just we both like we're all a creative group here i just have such respect where you put all that time and effort and going in there where I was like, wow, this is me. And for only four seasons, you're up at that caliber. And even when we guessed it, I felt like Jesse and I were doing like part of a production. Like he and I treated like, okay. <laughs> you did so, so um, well. I had to do a couple takes. Jesse's like, oh, that's why I love Korea. He's like, um, I gave her a couple like takes from me. I'm like, well, that was smart. Because I totally <laughs> my, And I was dying laughing because you're like, oh, Siggy, that was really cute. And I do like your accent. But the guys from the OC... United States. Can you record all that over? I'm like, not a problem. But it, I felt so like we had a total that. production. I felt like I was like, wow, this is really pro work. And I just marvel and Desi and I are about elevating and celebrating to find someone who's Filipino, no lesser than you are Filipino, mm-hmm. doing this type of work. And not only you're putting like a voice to these people and these crimes, and I'll let you talk more about that, that are occurring in the Philippines that we should be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just... Well, and in great. fact, yeah. you have started... What what I find refreshing about your true crime podcast, and it's funny, I was talking to a Filipino-Canadian University of Toronto student today, and I was talking about your podcast, actually. They are like asking, oh, what are you going to do this afternoon? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to interview another podcaster, right, that does true crime. She was like, oh, like, I love true crime. And I said, well, you're going to love this, right? So, you know, you know, you may get another listener from Ontario oh, you know, yay. <laughs> on your statistics and stuff like that. I was going to say, like, there's so much to cover in terms of true crime, but you're very focused on victim-focused, survivor-centered, trauma-informed, gender-based violence issues and very take a pro-feminist, if not feminist, stance. But the other thing is, is what I've certainly appreciated is not only just knowing true crimes in the Philippines, but you're also mm-hmm. looking at 
in the diaspora as well, right? Mm -hmm. So you've started to kind of branch out in some Mm -hmm. ways. What else has been kind of like informing your decisions, right? Because you're making creative decisions. And so I'm just like, oh, like what are those creative decisions? Mm Because Siggy and I are constantly making those creative decisions. Mm -hmm. So diasporic cases, I've always Mm -hmm. covered them, but only for Patreon patrons. That's right. From the the very beginning, I've, I've been covering them since the very beginning. And then I realized that I cannot keep up with Patreon anymore. So I'm scrapping Patreon. And that's when I decided to do that first Mm. of January, when I decided that I cannot keep up with the pace of me producing early access content for my patrons and then regular episodes and all that. I cannot keep up with it anymore with the kind of lifestyle that I am in right now. I've decided to just share the diasporic cases on a regular feed as well. And I've done Mm. a couple of those past seasons as well, just sort of like just to test the waters a little bit. And I've had good feedback, especially from OFWs and also other Filipinos abroad as well. So I, th- so I thought, you know what, since I've had that good feedback and since I'm closing down my Patreon anyway, let me just share all the cases that I have been sort of bullet point listing for right. years now. Yes. Let me just cover those on a regular feed. And I feel that it is important for motherlanders to learn about the experiences of diasporic Filipinos Mm -hmm. and vice versa, because they might think that we are so different from each other, but there is so much more in common. There are so many things that tie us together as Filipinos than what separates us. And that is also true when it comes to the kind of issues and themes that I cover in my cases or that are present in true crime cases in general. And that's sort of what I want to present out there. And also, motherlanders are always very curious. Like, when I tell them about, oh, I've heard about this case in the UK or this case in Canada, I'm like, oh, but... Like, what kind of cases do you hear about? What are the developments? So they are curious as as to what's happening because they know that we'll be dealing, when I talk about a Canadian case or a case that I'll be featuring from the UK soon, we're dealing with a different justice system. So it's not going to be the kind of court system in the Philippines. We're not talking about the Visconti case going on for 20,000 years. I don't know. (laughs) We're We're talking about a criminal case that really... If the judge says this is going to conclude in six months, it's going to conclude in That's six right. months. You right. know, no, you no know, undue not... delay of any exactly case, because right? yeah. that justice delayed is justice denied, as my That's good right. mother would say. Yes. <laughs> so then the Filipinos are like, "Oh my God! Like, are you actually telling me that a murder case can conclude in six to eight months?" Yes. Because that's how some justice system works. That's and right. they're curious, like, how does it work in America? How does it work in New Zealand and all that? Mm-hmm. And I even have cases from Cyprus. I have cases from, oh, of wow. course, the Middle, the Middle East because of the big OFW Abyss. population, populations mm-hmm. in the Middle East. So uh, they're also curious, like, what does this mean for us Filipinos at home? Or what can we learn from how the cases are being dealt with or not being dealt with in those other countries? There is a thirst for knowledge there. It's just that there's so much information, there's an overload of information online that they don't know where to look maybe, or they just cannot be bothered. And I'm happy to be that vehicle to just present it to them in this concise manner. And with concise, I also mean like sometimes deep dives that take 90 <laughs> minutes, but they don't mind apparently. Like, I'm No, not at who all. Would, who would DM like, actually, we don't mind. Like, even if you talk for like, 
I don't know, two hours. We're going to listen to it. Thank you guys. Totally. I'm in the same boat. And I was just going to say, it's also like you're teaching comparative law. Right, like yeah. to, to fill up. and I took a course. I took a course. You know, no, and I'm not. I'm not even joking, right? Like I'm. I'm just as you were saying that. I was thinking, oh, like this is an accessible way of understanding differences between the legal system. Because you're right. Like you know, the legal system in Canada, based on the UK precedents case setting way that things are determined as opposed to codes like in France and in Quebec, different ways of thinking about yeah. things. And yeah, and it is true, like justice delayed is justice denied. Yeah. And, and I'm learning too. Well, I'm learning and- about the Philippine justice system as well, because I'm, I didn't go to law school in the Philippines. So then I get familiarized, I familiarize mis- myself with Oh, okay. So this is how our penal code um, looks like. And it's a a hybrid of Spanish civil law Mm -hmm. or codified law and the American version of common law, which is, like you said, it all comes from from the Brits. So then I'm also learning in the process, which I think is always very good to be constantly learning something along the way. No, that's what I walk away from when I listen to your podcast is I've learned something new and I appreciate that it's been curated because you're right. There is a lot of information to sort there. So if you don't have a legal framework or a legal lens, it can all look confusing, mm. you know, and I think that you make that certainly clear to when I listen to your mm. podcast in a lot of ways. And I appreciate the fact that you take a really meditative stance in the way that you present your podcast listeners don't can't see this but she's Chris, grinning she's, she's grinning the biggest right face, the biggest smile on her right? face so um, tell me what you're thinking i'm so yeah. curious to know what you're thinking as i had said that i no i'm just grinning because i sometimes feel like i do not like i'm doing the exact opposite of what you're saying because i'm always so full of rage when i cover oh, these cases. Uh, what i hear is righteous anger which i think is actually a fantastic thing and next to it is indignation right because that means mm. there's injustice that's going on right as far mm-hmm. as i'm concerned but it's measured it's really measured so it doesn't feel frightening or scary mm. you are presenting it and then you're saying to the listeners out there you know the legume listeners Shouldn't we all be enraged with this? And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Right, that type of gender-based violence shouldn't be occurring. You know, so exactly, exactly. It's like, why do these cultural values continue to reinforce some of these crimes of opportunities? Blah 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 blah. I mean, this is what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Sometimes <laughs> I feel like I should do a companion deconstruction of your episode. <laughs> you just hear me yelling. A companion right? to like in podcast. <laughs> <I> love that. <laughs> So the other thing that we wanted to know was you touch on certain themes, right? Why are these themes important to you? Oh, yeah. As you already said, like, I'm I'm a staunch feminist. I don't hide that. You know, there was a time in my life where the F word, being a feminist, was so unattractive. As mm-hmm. a teenager, I was very worried about admitting that. And I didn't even know what it truly meant, like the, the depth of what it truly meant to be a feminist. But already as a young teenager, you know, 13, 14, I ever said, I'm a feminist. Yeah, yeah, whatever that means. I, you know, the, the meaning that I had in my mind back then, it, it made sense to me, I'm a feminist. So, and as a feminist, I like to highlight, it's a double-edged sword for me, to be honest, because I hate covering cases back-to-back that have female victims or female presenting or femme victims in them. Right. Because 
for me, sometimes from the outside looking in, if I put myself sort of as an observer of my own podcast, it feels like I'm just covering these cases because, I don't know, they're the most brutal ones. And I don't want to sensationalize. So I try to like not cover those kind of cases back to back. But the reality is most of the victims of the most outrageous and most covered most sensationalized cases in the Philippines and outside are cases where the victims are female or female presenting. Mm -hmm. So Mm. then I said, okay, if this is what I have to deal with, then I have to make sure that I, like you said, I am victim focused. I'm trauma informed. I speak on the societal issues that may have led to these crimes or the, the issues surrounding the dealing of those crimes afterwards, because there's always a problem with the police. There's always a problem with politicians. There's always a problem with the government in general. And then I have to make sure that I also tell the listeners what I think about. I don't want to mislead them or to give them sort of I'm on the fence type of person. No, I'm going to give you what I think about an issue. I'm going to be transparent about that. But I always encourage the listeners to also do their own research and make up their own minds about those things. Because I'm very aware that I do not, my listeners may look mostly left-leaning and maybe anti the current government or anti the last government. Mm -hmm. But I've had DMs and good conversations with listeners who may agree sort of on on an insular level, you may Mm -hmm. call it, on the issues or on the stances that I take in some of my episodes, but they are still pro-current government or Mm -hmm. pro-this government or pro the last government. And so I have conversations with those listeners as well. So I want to be transparent. Like this is what I think about, for example, red tagging in the Philippines. Mm. This is what I think about femicide in the Philippines. This is what I think about, you know, the lack of divorce laws in the Philippines. This is what I think (laughs) about LGBTQIA issues in the Philippines. So that if you're a listener and you say, well, I disagree with Christine, but let me look at her sources and let me do my own research. Like my prayer only is that my podcast can be a stepping stone for further education in my listeners. So Mm-hmm. Sorry, I forgot the original question, but that's the answer that I am. I'm, yeah, I'm, I was, you know, the original question was around kind of like your focus. I think inherent and implicit in what you're telling us too is, is yeah. that it's not only just presenting true crimes and mm-hmm. your version and the analysis that you encourage everyone to practice discernment and engagement with it. And I think that that's the most that we need to be asking of each other, right? Like not to be mm-hmm. so positional or entrenched in a position mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And that's what I appreciate. Like you present the facts as you know it yeah. from what's ever in the public record. And then you give us our commentary and then you, and this is what I really appreciate about your podcast is, is that you talk about and raise awareness or do consciousness raising from a feminist perspective of the social justice issue that's at play and what we can structurally do to change it. And then you encourage us to think similarly. And as you say, kind of, you can do the review of the facts. You can do the review of the yeah, sources. Yeah. And then you you tell me, right? And I know that you've invited listeners, you know, to comment or to disagree because I think it's kind of like how a pearl is made. You need to be irritated in some ways so that that pearl can come to fruition. You know, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. and I think that that's what Legim does is it certainly tries to produce pearls. And that's what I so enjoy, which is why I said, Sigs, we got to do a, like, I got to do a taste test <laughs> on Legim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I got to show um, the pearls that are out there. <laughs> and I think with Legim as well, I just feel like when I talk about 
uh, about certain issues. Okay, this is where I'm coming from. I think as Filipino, especially if you've grown up in the Philippines in the 90s, in the early 90s, late 90s, Mm -hmm. you've been bombarded by really gory, gruesome images of crime scenes, for example. Mm. And this is the basis of sort of my childhood and a lot of millennial Filipinos' childhoods. And I think there's a generation Filipinos that are that have become so desensitized by all of the wrongs, by all of the corruption, by all right. of the bad things in our society, in Filipino society. And sometimes it has become so normalized and accepted that we forget to be outraged, that we forget that this is not normal, that mm. we forget that this is something that we should be mad about because our sisters are dying. Right. You know, our mm. queer brothers and sisters are dying. And they're being, you know, targeted abortion issues divorce laws all these issues mm-hmm. like we've become so desensitized bahala na bahala na bukas na lang yeah. you know that's and, right yeah. and it's fine because a lot of filipinos most of the filipinos are living under the poverty line and they are so preoccupied and just busy surviving right and that's completely fine as well but those who have the luxury oh, i don't know if you can call it luxury mm-hmm. but if you can maybe look a little bit outside of your own and just look at these issues and know that it can also affect you at some point and those who love you, then maybe it can be a vehicle for change. And if Lagim can contribute to just encouraging people to maybe look outside and be a little bit more outraged and less desensitized by all the crimes, all the corruption, then maybe I've done a little bit yeah. my societal duty, so to speak, yeah. my civic duties. And then, you know, that makes me a happy person at the end of the day. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful place to wrap up our podcast for today is consciousness mm-hmm. raising, right? So each episode, we end on a fixing of the week. So in other words, something that our listeners can do. And I say, increase your consciousness, you know, mm-hmm. and do that consciousness raising with the Legim podcast. So subscribe, download, listen, leave Christine a review, tell her what you think in terms of the true crimes that she tells us, both in the motherland as well as in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. Sigs, I think that takes us to the end. I think you I think it does. I, I, Christine, you know what? Once again, I want you to share your socials so people can get out there. You have subscribers from us. Uh, me and Jazzy, we want more subscribers <laughs> mm-hmm. for you. It's fantastic work. Again, please share with our listeners your your socials so they can follow you. Yes. So please, please listen to the podcast on all your favorite podcasting platforms. A lot of my Canadian listeners listen through Spotify. I've looked up the numbers <laughs> <laughs> on my stats. Yeah, you can listen to the game on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. You can follow me on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram at Legim Podcast. I am on Twitter as well, although sometimes I feel Twitter is just like a weird stream of consciousness uh, with yeah. the yes, brand. Yes, agreed, agreed. <laughs> I still love it. So it, I'm at Legim Pod on Twitter. And if you search Legim Podcast on Facebook, I'm there as well. I post the same type of updates. I try to be on TikTok, but please, it's it's a work in progress. <laughs> Don't even. I think I'm not even going to tell you about TikTok. Yeah, we have even approached it. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I feel I'm you. too old. I can't. I can't. Yeah. It's just too much work. <laughs> I post my sources on a separate website. So right. it's legimpodcast.podcastpage.io. But if you go on to my 
Instagram bio link thing. You can find everything there. And yeah, if you have any comments, just slide into my DMs. I always, always respond to private messages and also comments on Instagram and anywhere else. That's awesome. And we'll put the all in the show notes too. So our listeners can Yay, have it. Thank you. <laughs> Folks, tell us what you think about like in podcasts. Once you subscribe, download, we want to hear more. You can email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. Our socials are at Twitter at hollowhollowpop. And we're on Instagram at hollowhollowpopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Cheltering. And we'll see all of you guys again real soon. Christine, you got to come back again. Please, open invitation. Please come back and visit us again. Of course. Of course. And who knows, I may, I may make it to Canada um, Mm. this year. So, yeah. Thank you.